Chapter Two of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Two, Edmund Standen. It was in the very flush of summer, the ripe, rich month of July. The last of the hay had been carried, but tangled wisps of sweet-scented grass still hung here and there on the brambles of the dog-roses, in the narrow lanes where the wagons had been hard-pushed to pass between luxuriant boundaries of sloe and blackberry, wild-rose and woodbine. This particular July had begun with almost tropical splendor. The thermometer—there was only one in the village, by the way, at the post-office and chemist shop—had been at eighty for the last week and even after sunset there was a sultry heat like the atmosphere of a hothouse an atmosphere sweetened with the spicy odour of pine-trees and clove carnations the perfume of bean-fields and the sweet pea hedges that brightened cottage gardens for an utterly idle existence the life of those pigs for instance which lay flat on their sides on the patch of grass before the farmyard gate and simply revelled in the sunshine heading em in a hot summer was a most delicious place a very valley of sensuous delights but for the majority of mankind who had to work hard this weather was a trifle too warm the farmers looked across the fields of yellowing corn and thanked god for this liberal sunshine the farmers men wiped the drops of toil from their sunburnt foreheads and languished for a double allowance of cider happy those whose work lay on the hilltops whence they could gaze on the wide cool sea happier still or so it seemed to the landsmen the fisherman yonder far out upon the blue whose brown sails flapped lazily in the faint summer wind the three girls went along one of the lanes till they came to a meadow on the slope of a hill a meadow which contained some of the finest trees about Headingham. here they seated themselves on a grassy bank at the foot of a giant horse-chestnut a bank famous for primroses in springtime not without some jesting insinuations from sylvia's companions we know why sylvia is so fond of this field don't we alice said mary jocosely whereupon alice who was not loquacious nodded and giggled inanely i don't know that i like it better than any other meadow returned sylvia with an indifferent air if i do it is for the shade of this chestnut and because we can catch a glimpse of the sea over the tree-tops yonder i thought you didn't care for the woods or the sea or anything about Headingham," said mary i don't very much i've had too much of it all trees and flowers that are the same every year and woods and sea that haven't changed since the heptarchy but if we walk we must walk somewhere and if we sit down to rest it must be somewhere and this meadow does as well as any other place and we know some one who can always find us here said mary after which remark came a sort of giggling duet between miss carew's companions sylvia felt that her father was right and that she ought not to associate with these girls i wish you wouldn't be so vulgar mary peter she exclaimed angrily some one indeed i suppose you mean mr stanton since he's the only person we ever met here i didn't know it was vulgar to speak of one's friend's beau said mary wounded but you've such high notions miss carew i sometimes think it's a pity you should associate with me and alice i sometimes think so too answered sylvia nothing moved it would have cost her very little to break with these companions of her childhood her feelings on the subject of feminine friendships were not deep she had a way of being insolent to these girls and then passing over the matter lightly as if she had a right to be as rude as she pleased and they influenced by her superlative beauty and her superior education 
she had educated herself for the most part but she knew a good deal more than many better taught girls of her age suffered her airs and graces with extreme patience she had an air of being only half alive in their presence which was in no means flattering to their self-esteem she leaned back against the broad base of the chestnut and closed her languid eyelids and only answered with a listless word or two now and then while her companions discussed the programme for to-morrow's gala it was to be altogether a grand day for Headingham. there was to be the children's treat buns and tea and plum-cake and such rustic sports as kiss in the ring and thread my needle in mr hopling's orchard one of the finest orchards round Headingham. this was an annual festival but even repetition did not stale its simple joys this year there was to be something more than the children's tea-drinking the Headingham schoolhouse was ancient small inconvenient and out of repair and mr fancourt the vicar was trying to collect funds for the erection of new buildings of the gothic order there had been already some small movements in aid of this good work and now the miss vancourts and their numerous friends and allies had organized a fancy fair or charity bazaar to which all the county so far as the influence of Headingham could make itself felt had been bidden all the most distinguished young ladies of the neighbourhood that is to say those whose fathers had either money or position were to keep stalls the various treasures of berlin woolwork wax flowers point lace pincushion covers and banner screens teapot stands slippers wax dolls smoking caps baby shoes braces work bags shaving doilies match boxes pinafores and cigar cases which had been prepared by the industrious fingers of the Headingham and monkhampton young ladies were said to be stupendous in effect now that they were massed together at the vicarage the bazaar was to be held in mr harper's field which adjoined mr hopling's orchard so that benevolently disposed people after spending their money among the pink-striped booths could walk into the orchard and behold the future recipients of their bounty they would see the school-children at their best apple-cheeked joyous radiant with the lustre of bread and butter and plum-cake and they would be stimulated to give liberally thus no doubt had argued the organizers of the entertainment they say there's people coming from twenty miles round said mary peter after much disquisition upon to-morrow's proceedings county families there's never been such a day in Headingham since i can remember and you can remember thirty years i should think remarked sylvia without opening her eyes this was meant unkindly for miss peter affected youth yet every one knew that it was nine or ten years since she had finished her apprenticeship to miss speedwell of monkhampton father heard tell that sir aubrey was to be there said alice cook with some sense of importance it was something to have a father who heard the news direct from the vicar after weekday service sylvia opened her eyes everybody in this place was interested in sir aubrey Perriam, though he was only a quiet elderly gentleman who spent a good deal of his time abroad and when he was at home lived a humdrum kind of life at Perriam place with no better society than that of his brother an invalid and a bookworm sir aubrey was seen in Headingham village now and then when he was at the place but the younger brother hardly ever but according to report this younger brother mr Perriam, never went away but dawdled on from year's end to year's end alone with his books no one at Headingham thought or talked of mr Perriam. sir aubrey was a son whose magnitude extinguished all lesser lights i thought sir aubrey was in paris said sylvia so he was last week replied alice father had it from the housekeeper at Perriam, but he was expected home soon 
and this morning while he was taking off his surplice mr vancourt told father that sir aubrey had come and had promised to be at the bazaar to-morrow i should like to see him said sylvia haven't you never seen him asked alice with more emphasis than grammar oh i've seen him ever so many times said mary peter with enthusiasm he's a noble-looking old gentleman i think you'd know he was a baronet if you saw him anywheres without being told he dresses beautiful such taste and holds himself so straight and speaks so low and smooth not like most of our county gentlefolks which bawls awful as if they were speaking to somebody on the other side of the road and then he has such a dear silver-grey moustache just the colour of that dress i made for mrs baker for miss baker's wedding and what is his brother mr Perriam, like inquired sylvia oh nobody ever sets eyes on mr Perriam except the servants at the place and they say he's eccentrical and slovenly like in his ways never puts on boots and hardly ever wears a coat and hates new clothes but i have heard mrs spicer the housekeeper say she's second cousin to my aunt susan husband's brother's wife so you may call her a relation that mr Perriam and his brother would be as like as two peas if he only dressed himself decently sylvia sighed she had ceased to feel interested in the conversation what were these Perriams to her only two old fogies whose wealth made her enviously minded whenever she thought of it that crimson globe she had been watching had gone down behind the patch of the blue sea yonder and she had promised her father to be home before it was dark the darkness would soon follow that red splendour on the horizon line and it was not solely to enjoy alice cook's and mary peter's conversation that miss carew had come here to-night come mary she said listlessly i suppose we had better be going home what's your hurry asked mary papa told me to be home before dark oh come you're not generally so particular about your father besides it's not quite dark till ten o'clock at this time of year and who knows if someone mightn't happen to come this way who'd be ever so sorry to miss you quite right miss peter and very kindly suggested said a pleasant manly voice from the other side of the bank the branches rustled as two strong arms parted them and a young man stepped lightly down from the higher level of the copse behind the chestnut sylvia started to her feet a wild rose bloom brightening her face her eyes sparkling almost a new creature animated with sudden joy and hope and triumph yet she spoke never a word but only held out her little bare hand by way of welcome the newcomer shook hands all round but with sylvia last and kept her hand in his as if he had forgotten to let it go i thought perhaps you might be coming this way for your evening walk mr standen said mary peter urged thereto by an impulse of good manners since nobody else said anything alice cook could never do much more than giggle and sylvia and mr standen stood and looked at each other as if they never meant to speak again indeed could eyes always be as eloquent there would seem little need of language it was very considerate of you to think about me at all said mr standen without withdrawing his gaze from sylvia's they stood face to face under the spreading chestnut boughs looking at each other as if there were no world beyond that circle of shadow no time beyond this july sunset i always do come here for my evening walk and sometimes i find this meadow very dreary while sometimes it seems a little bit of eden as it does to-night he added in a lower tone tightening his clasp of sylvia's hand well sylvia said mary in her business-like tone i think as mother may be wanting her bit of supper 
it is but a morsel of cheese and a lettuce she takes but she likes things nice and tidy i'll run home you can come back with me alice and i dare say mr standon will take care of sylvia good-bye sylvia we shall see you before twelve to-morrow the two girls curtsied a good-night to the gentleman and sped off as if this were a part of an established programme they had scarcely turned their backs ere sylvia was clasped to her lover's breast the fair head rested placidly upon his shoulder the soft hazel eyes looked up at him full of tenderness plighted lovers these it would seem by his calm air of proprietorship her look of perfect trust my sylvia he said as if a world of meaning were shut within the compass of those two words you are so late this evening edmund she said complainingly we had friends dining with us darling i couldn't get away even now i have left the men to smoke their cigars and play billiards alone at the risk of offending them for the sake of one sweet half-hour with you how lovely you look to-night sylvia with that sunset tinge upon your hair do you really like it she asked pleased by his praise the girls call it red a shower of kisses on the bright auburn hair answered for the lover's estimation of its peculiar colour but i'm sorry you're so late edmund for papa told me to be home early you must cheat papa out of half an hour for my sake sylvia i have something to tell you what she cried eagerly and with a half frightened look have you told mrs standon yes sylvia he answered gravely i have told my mother oh exclaimed the girl with a gasp as if this were just the most awful thing in the world and how did she take it why not so well as i could have wished let's sit down here darling under our old chestnut and i'll tell you all about it he released her from the arms which had enfolded her till now and they sat down side by side her head still resting on his shoulder one hand clasped in his as if this loving contact might soften the stern decree of fate in the person of mrs standon on whose fiat the future lives of these two in a great measure depended was she very angry sylvia asked falteringly the young man was silent for a few moments looking downward his good-looking honest face clouded it was both good and good-looking that face of edmund standon's the features sufficiently regular the forehead broad and ample the eyes a clear grey the complexion tanned somewhat by sun and wind a country gentleman's complexion the mouth good and despite the shade of a thick brown moustache full of expression am i to be quite frank with you sylvia am i to tell you the truth however disagreeable even at the risk of making you dislike my mother what does it matter what i think of your mother exclaimed sylvia impatiently it is ourselves we have to think about tell me the whole truth of course she was angry i suppose yes dear more angry than i had ever seen her till that moment more angry than i should have thought it possible she could be what a low vulgar creature i must seem to her said sylvia bitterly my sweetest she knows that you are nothing of the kind i have told her and she has heard others praise you and she has seen you herself it was no such thought influenced her but she had formed other plans i suppose and this engagement of mine disappointed her she has always been used to think of me as a boy ready and willing to be ruled by her opinions for you know how dearly i love her sylvia i have heard you say so a thousand times said sylvia with something like scorn yesterday she discovered for the first time that i had a will of my own 
a heart that was no longer all hers a mind that could think for itself and my own plans for my own future she was both grieved and angry my heart bled for her though i felt for the first time in my life that she was in the wrong that the mother i have loved so dearly could commit a great injustice if you would only come to the point exclaimed sylvia impatiently what did she say about our marriage that she would never give her consent to it i was compelled to remind her that i am a man and my own master well what then marry miss carew if you like she said and break my heart if you like but if you do i shall leave everything i possess to your sister ellen and her children and she could do that asked sylvia trembling with indignation most decidedly she is mistress of everything my father had to leave my future so far as regards my father's fortune is entirely at her mercy how unjust how wicked cried sylvia it does seem rather hard said the young man regretfully yet there never was a better mother than mine and the money was left to her to do what she likes with after all she has as good a right to leave it to ellen as to me she has no such right your father intended it for you said sylvia almost choking with passion she might have been even more angry had edmund standon repeated to her one particular speech of his mother's a speech which had impressed itself indelibly on the tablet of his mind i will stand between you and ruin if i can even if i seem cruel and unjust in doing so whatever influence whatever power i have shall be used to the uttermost to prevent your marriage with sylvia carew because she is my inferior in social position asked the young man angrily as if such petty distinctions counted for anything except in a benighted village like Hedingham. for no such reason answered mrs standon but simply because she is vain and hollow selfish and artful i wish my dear son to marry a good woman and she flung upon him a look of maternal tenderness that would have melted any one but a headstrong lover what right have you to say that of her you who have seen her half a dozen times at most he cried indignantly i have seen quite enough to judge and i have heard still more petty village gossip the women hate her on account of her beauty and you love her for the sake of her beauty and for nothing else beware of such love edmund upon my word mother you are too bad cried the son and he left her without another word banging the door behind him the passion of anger would hurt us more than it does if there were no doors to bang yet in his heart of hearts he knew that he did love sylvia chiefly for the sake of that rare beauty which had dawned upon him like the revelation of a new life two short months ago when he came home from germany and saw the girl standing in the afternoon sunshine in one of the side aisles in Headingham church clad in purest white a blossom-like creature among the ruddy-cheeked and buxom Headingham girls many of whom had a full share of vulgar everyday good looks even to-night as he came to the trysting tree he was compelled to confess to himself in the course of that self-examination to which all thoughtful men submit their motives that it was sylvia's face that had bewitched him of her mind he knew very little beyond the one fact that she loved him and knowing that he seemed to know all that was needful she was refined and intelligent expressed herself like a lady read all the books he lent her and was able to criticize them somewhat sharply she had taught herself french and german with very little help from her father 
she played with taste and expression on a feeble old piano which a former vicar's wife had given her on leaving headingham and she sang better than she played what more could a man desire in a wife than to love and be beloved by her save to be proud of her and edmund standon felt that this was a wife of whom a better man than he might be proud for after all this gift of beauty which philosophy affects to underrate although socrates did admire aspasia is a great and perfect thing and more certain of social success than any other quality it needs no assertion on the part of its possessor it asks no aid from renown it is there obvious indisputable and the world beholds and worships nor is it more ephemeral than any other species of fame those names of women which stand out most vividly on the historic page are the names of women who were simply famous for their beauty this argument occurred to edmund standon to-night as he walked up the hill after all what reason had he to be ashamed of loving sylvia carew chiefly because of her loveliness pericles caesar antony were all made of the same clay he said to himself each fell in love with the loveliest woman of his age well said sylvia after a longish pause of course there is no more to be said our dream is ended all we have to do is to bid each other good-bye her tones faltered a little and there were tears in her eyes yet she pronounced this renunciation of her lover with a calmness curious in one so young bid each other good-bye he repeated astonished why sylvia do you think i can give you up i think you could never be so mad as to let your mother make you a pauper which it seems she has the power to do said sylvia in whom anger at this moment was stronger than love my mother shall not make me a pauper and she shall not rob me of you said edmund drawing her closer to his side she did not look up at him but sat with eyes bent upon the ground and a settled gloom upon her face for her this forfeiture of fortune meant so much it meant the end of all her day-dreams but she loved him as fondly as it was in her nature to love and that nature had its depths of passion though those depths were yet unsounded but she can rob you of your father's fortune she said let it go answered her lover lightly i can exist without it i am not afraid of beginning the world sylvia for you and with you i think i could fight and conquer fate with you for my helpmate what could you do she asked thoughtfully go to the bar it would be slow work of course at first but i might pick up a little by literature perhaps or in some of the byways of life or if on taking counsel with my friends i found the bar was likely to be too slow a business i might get a clerkship and go into commerce i am young and not afraid of work it would be hard if i couldn't earn a living somehow a living earning a living somehow and sylvia had fancied that in winning edmund standon's love she had opened the door to that bright pleasant prosperous easy-going world in which everybody had plenty of money that when he made her his wife she was to bid an everlasting farewell to the scrimped means of the vulgar herd who have to maintain themselves by labour of brain or body and then darling continued her lover tenderly happily for our early struggles you have not been bred in an extravagant school or accustomed to costly pleasures it will not seem very hard to you will it sylvia if we have to begin life humbly not seem hard when her rebellious spirit had been at war with her surroundings ever since she had been old enough to compare the lives of other people with her own life it's all very well to talk like that 
she said bursting into tears but you don't know what poverty is yes this cheerful resignation to reverse of fortune is easy to the mind that has never known necessity's venomed sting it is like the ignorant courage of a child who pays his first visit to the dentist rather pleased at the novelty of the situation my dear love even poverty would be no burden if you and i shared it besides we shan't always be poor look at the hundreds of prosperous men who begin the world with a single half-crown look at my father she answered briefly he kissed away her tears and circled thus by his protecting arm she half believed that the light of true love might suffice to gild the pathway of life but it was only half belief at best lurking in her mind was the conviction that she had suffered too much already from straitened means and had no courage for that battle which edmund standon faced so calmly how much is your father's fortune she asked my mother's you mean darling i only look upon it as hers in trust how much is it edmund something like fifteen hundred a year rather over than under then there is the house and about forty acres of land and my mother's savings which must be considerable for i don't think she can have spent a thousand a year since my father's death and you would give up all that for my sake edmund asked sylvia deeply moved every shilling of it and with hardly a pang oh how good and true you are and how dearly i love you cried the girl quite overcome at last by this evidence of devotion the moon stole up from behind the eastward woods and surprised them into memory of the hour they went back to headingham through the silent fields and lanes arm in arm and sylvia almost forgot the gloomy outlook that had newly opened before her in the happiness of being so utterly beloved to-morrow your father and all headingham shall know of our engagement sylvia said mr standon as they paused in the shadowy churchyard path that path across the churchyard was the nearest way to the schoolhouse for those last words which lovers are so long saying no not to-morrow she pleaded there will be such talk and such surprise and so many people will take your mother's part against us let us keep our secret a little longer dear edmund and dear edmund who was not in a condition to refuse anything reluctantly consented to some small delay wondering a little at the subtle ways of women to whom there seems sweetness in secrecy End of chapter two